Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. to do the right thing. I don't like this process right now in my life, but Lord, I want to be obedient to you. I want to be faithful to you. And so I want to press through this thing, even if it is uncomfortable. Beloved, as a believer, you, you and I have to have this issue right in our lives. If not, it's going to be that continual conflict. It's going to be chaos, not only in our own life, But it actually brings conflict and chaos within the household of faith. In today's message, Pastor David teaches about spiritual authority. Submitting to spiritual authority is necessary for an individual and a church because we surrender to God's leading. Most people, though, struggle with authority, for we want to make our own decisions and go our own way. Paul insists we need to engage in acts that demonstrate submission to God's divine authority, and we must order our lives based on God's truth found in the Bible and not on our own understanding. Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message entitled, The Beginning of Order. I was told, not just by one, but uh, been told by a couple of people since last Wednesday that, wow, you just like really laid us out last Wednesday, kind of sliced and diced and filleted us and uh, put us on the grill. You got to remember, as I'm reading through this stuff and I'm studying through this stuff, the, the Holy Spirit is doing the same thing in my own life. So I got filleted a lot with you. But, you know, it's, it doesn't get any easier. We're, uh, as we're getting into uh, some of these deeper passages here in 1 Corinthians, Paul really lays it on the line to this church. Uh, we see from the things that Paul writes, we can take from the context of what he writes, that this church, by and large, was a very, what and, and I put in big quotation marks, a very spiritual church, okay? There was a lot of things that were happening, and I believe that a lot of the people within that church felt that, you know, you know, them and Jesus, they're just like that. Yeah, Jesus is the tall one, but they are just like, you know, they are so tight and so right with the Lord. And Paul is looking at them from the outside and says, you know what? You're not right, and you're not nearly as tight as you think you are. And so he has to bring this correction to him. He brings it to him in as, in as loving way as he can. But as we shared last week, there's a lot of times there's a lot of frustration that comes into it because some of these things he's covered with them in the past. You can tell that through the context of what he writes, as well as when he even says, you know, as I've shared with you in the past, and now he's sharing the very same things with him again. So as he writes this letter to the church at Corinth, again, it would seem as though these there in that church 
So many of them thought that the Lord was uh, speaking through them in this way or in that way or in this way or in that way. But the problem was there was so much confusion. There was so much disconnect. There was so much division. How could that really be the Lord that was speaking to them and through them. And that's what Paul is going to be dealing with. Not only here, we're in chapter 11 as we're moving on through 1 Corinthians, but on as we go. We know that God's not a God of confusion, but God is a God of peace. And therefore, there, there needs to be a consideration of these things. There needs to be a testing of these things. And that was the great necessity that was, in, that was within the church there at Corinth. And beloved, just as it is today, Someone might say, you know, the Lord has said this, the Lord has spoken this. Well, we need to test those things and see exactly really is that what the Lord, and just because someone has said, the Lord has spoken to me this and so, again, they need to be tested. It needs to be placed within the order of the things that God's ordained through his word. It needs to be placed within the order and the context of what he's doing within that fellowship. We see this, as I said, here in these chapters in 1 Corinthians, as we move on, a great need within Corinth to bring these things into order, to recognize the authority of the leadership and that strategic plan of God's kingdom that was working within that church. And over the next few chapters, Paul is going to be speaking about, guess what? Church order. How the church ought to look and how it ought to function in the correct way. Because in Corinth, it was out of order. How should these things work within the household of faith? As we come together as as a portion of the body of Christ, we come together corporately to worship, to share in communion, to receive instruction in the study of God's word. How is that supposed to look? How is that supposed to act? What is it what, what's the right way for us to be in this? And as I shared with you last week, according to the context of things, it really appears to me that in chapter 11, that verse 1 ought to be up in chapter 10. And some of your verses, uh, some, of, some of the versions of your Bibles may actually have verse 1 of chapter 11 pushed up into the paragraph of chapter 10, simply because it fits a whole lot better that way. And remember, as I've shared with you, not only as we've gone through Corinthians, but in, in many other books, the, the chapters and the verses are not the inspired portion, okay? Uh, they can be off many times, and we, we can see that, I think, pretty clearly here. Just as kind of a, uh, an opportunity to uh, bring it all together, look in chapter 10, if you would, back up to uh, verse 31. That's kind of the last paragraph, the last major thought that Paul has in that section before he kind of changes directions. Up in verse 31, Paul writes, therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God to give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. So to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the believers, either one, don't give an offense. And just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they might be saved. Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. And so Paul says, look, I've laid kind of a pattern in my own life that you should be able to see. I don't believe that Paul in any way is saying that he's perfect. As a matter of fact, Paul elsewhere says, man, I don't count that I've achieved it, but I continue to press on toward that high goal. But he does say that there's things in his life that you can look at, say, "This, this is the way you ought to be. And part of that was this willingness of Paul to be all things to all men in order that he might win some 
to Christ. That doesn't mean that he compromises his faith, doesn't mean that he compromises righteousness and holiness, but it does mean that he'll come and he'll speak and he'll mingle with and he'll touch the lives of people from every spectrum of the walk of life in order that he might, again, make that connection to be able to open up to them the hope of the gospel in order that some might be saved. Now Paul takes a bit of a change of direction from speaking about how we deal with the outside world as, as, as well as each other is what he's been speaking about here. But now he's really going to specifically speak uh, on this interaction of believers together here going on in chapter 11. And as much as Paul has had to bring correction on some of the foolish things that this Corinthian church had done and how they had acted, how they responded to each other, how they responded to the outside world. Now he comes, he brings a little bit of a word of praise. He realizes, okay, you guys have done a lot of goofy things, but there are some things that you've done right. And so here in verse two, we read, now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep their traditions just as I delivered them to you. Okay, it's not a long word of praise, but at least it's some, okay? Sometimes you just got to take what you can get. And for the Corinthians here, I believe that he throws that in as a little bit of a word of encouragement as he continues on with the correction. Paul thanked them because they had, they had remembered him. I, I, I believe they remembered him as the founder of the church there in Corinth. They had respect for him in that way, that God had used him to, to really bring uh, life or, or to birth that church as he came to Corinth and began sharing the hope of the gospel, drawing together people. I believe that they remembered him as the one who loved the people. He spent the years there serving them and, and pouring his heart out to them, and there was a mutual love for him by the people. I believe they also remembered him to pray for him, even as he continued to pray for that body of believers there. I don't think that any pastor worth their salt doesn't pray for the people. Pray for those that, again, how do I put this? Well, they use the phrase politically correct. I hate that phrase. How do I put this to where some of you won't be too upset with me? You pray for not only the ones that uh, you know are not problems, but you pray for the ones that are problems too, okay? Does that make sense? Okay. Hopefully not step on too many toes on that. I believe that a, a truly a pastor's heart, you understand that every one of us are in different levels of walk. We come from an enormous amount of variety of backgrounds and, and issues and experiences. And you know what? None of us respond in the same way. None of us respond in in the gospel the same way. None of us respond in relationships the same way. And so, you know what? As we move and as we work as a small portion of the body of Christ, that's why there's got to be a lot of give and take. That's why there's got to be a lot of grace offered and given and, and received as we move together as part of the body of Christ. One of the things here also that Paul says that he's grateful for is that they kept their traditions just in the same way that he delivered them to them. Now, this was huge because in all the situations that were going on, all of the mistakes that Corinth was making as a church, one of the things we see there, they were not trying to change the doctrines that Paul had given them. They definitely had issues on how they lived out their faith. They definitely had issues on how they worshiped together. But it would appear from this statement, as well as the context of what we see of what Paul has written to them, that 
they had the basic teachings, they had the basic doctrines of the Christian faith pretty well down. They understood what they, what they believed. In, in the book of Corinthians, you don't see as much doctrinal statements and declarations as you do, say, in the book of Romans or in the book of Ephesians. In Corinthians, it's very much the application of what we believe. You believe the right thing. Now, this is how you apply the right thing to the world around you and to each other. And that's what we're going to be seeing as we get into these next chapters in applying that application with each other within the body and even in our worship to the Lord. Paul simply, if I could actually say that simply, he was simply writing them in order that they would live out the doctrines in in a correct way. One of the first things he reminds them of is this whole idea of spiritual authority. I think that probably the majority of people, at least in one way or another, kind of balk at authority, okay? And I say that in, in a very general way. We know that there's authorities. We understand that God has placed authorities over us. Paul spends quite a bit of time in, in talking to the Romans about that, that whole idea of that God has placed the authorities over us. But by and large, we find often that, that, that people in general, they really push back at authority. They're not always readily submissive to it. And this whole idea of spiritual authority is a big deal within the church. Look what he says in verse 3 here. He says, I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of every woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. Now, did 50% of you balk at anything that I said there? Okay, uh, that, that might have been a cheap shot. But even the head of every man is Christ. Really and truly, thinking about that gentleman, that the head of our lives needs to be Christ. He needs to be the one that is, is leading and directing and ordering our lives. Ladies, for those, uh, particularly those that are married, the head of the woman is man. That's what he's speaking about. And the head of Christ is God. To the, very, to the very core of our Christian life, there needs to be that very solid understanding about spiritual authority. Because, gang, if we don't have spiritual authority right, it's going to impact, it's going to mess up every area of our lives. It's going to mess up our walk. It's going to mess up what God wants to do with us. If as individuals and and even as the church, we come against that very basic of core beliefs, we're going to have issues. We're going to have problems in, in our spiritual walk because spiritual authority deals with the basic order of God's kingdom. And if we don't have spiritual authority, if we don't have a a solid understanding of what spiritual authority is, then understanding the order and the the, the process of God's kingdom is going to be difficult for us to grasp. It also deals with our own personal humility. You know what? You're not going to deal with authority very well if you've got a problem with personal humility. If pride is, is an issue that you deal with, you're going to be having issues with authority also. It deals with our own submission to God's leading in our lives. And it's that idea of when he leads us where we don't really want to go. And when he leads us in, in, in times and areas that, 
that manages really seems difficult, but the Lord says, you know what? You need to go through this period in your life. You need to go through this issue in your life because on the other side of this, there is a great lesson that you're going to learn. There's a great strength you're going to gain in the midst of this. But let's face it, how many of us really enjoy going through the press? You know, none of us. But when it comes to submission of saying, Lord, I want to do the right thing. I don't like this process right now in my life. But Lord, I want to be obedient to you. I want to be faithful to you. And so I want to press through this thing, even if it is uncomfortable. Beloved, as a believer, you you and I have to have this issue right in our lives. If not, it's going to be that continual conflict. It's going to be chaos, not only in our own life, but it actually brings conflict and chaos within the household of faith. If you've got a body of believers together, a local church together, and some within that fellowship have a real problem with spiritual authority, you know what? There's going to be a real problem with the harmony of that church. There's going to be a real problem with how that church moves forward in the things of God. Again, that all comes, again, to our pride, our humility, our submission, all of these things, and Paul is going to deal with this. Now, I say this, but at the same time, We've got to be reminded that within the kingdom of God, there is this great equality. Jew and Gentile together, slaves and free men together, male and female together. Above all other organizations, all other groups of, of the Roman Empire during that time, it was the church that welcomed all people regardless of their nationality, regardless of their social status or their sex or their economic position. It was the church that brought all of these together on an equal plane, and yet at the same time, God ordained within that church within that equality, an order of authority, an order of movement. And we'll see that as we move on here. Even within that great equality, there needs to be order. And that order comes from God's design on creation. It impacts every aspect of our Christian life. It impacts even even our worship and our obedience to the Lord. Christ, think of it this way, Christ, we understand, we know he is God. He is God in human flesh. He is one of the trinity of the Godhead. He's equal with the Father and with the Spirit. And yet even Christ submitted himself to the Father. The Holy Spirit submits himself to the Son. He doesn't, Jesus said, the Spirit doesn't speak of himself. No, he speaks of me. And though all three were equal, God had an order of, again, that submission, even the authority, the work that's going on there. Paul responding, whether he's responding to some issue that was brought to him earlier on or not, we really don't know. It appears that through whatever reason, this particular section, as he gives this instruction, it seems to be something that's, that's been spoken of before. It's nothing that Paul is just pulling out of the air. It's something that they've been dealing with here. And we know as we've been looking at 1 Corinthians, that this, though it's 1 Corinthians, it's actually and truly 2 Corinthians. There was an earlier letter that we don't have a copy of. So apparently this is something that they've been dealing with. You have here a church body that's made up of Jewish and Gentile believers, both of them coming from dramatically different backgrounds and traditions. And you know what? Somewhere along this, this idea of head coverings comes up. 
Now, we're going to be looking at that in a moment. And as we look at that, we need to understand that, again, the time, the custom of the region of that day. Head coverings were normal. They were an expected part of the attire. In public, the women would be clothed. They would be covered in, in that time and in that culture, not too unlike in many of the Middle Eastern cultures, very similar to what uh, the Muslims wear, the, the hijab, the covering of the women. Not so much the veil that we see, but again, definitely the head covering and just the covering of the woman in a very modest apparel. The covering of the body, the portion that wrapped the head, that would have been normal. That would have been expected attire for the righteous woman. Perhaps not so much for the Greek or the Roman, but definitely for the Jew. And as the church came together, as it formed up, it apparently was the custom of the time for the woman to be covered, whether they were a Jewish believer or a Gentile believer. Now, in contrast to the Jewish tradition of the day, Paul tells them that the men were not to have their head covered, at least not during times of prayer or proclaiming of the word as they prophesied. For the Jew, the man would have taken, for within the Jewish custom, he would have taken the prayer robe, the talit, and put it over his head as he was praying. But for the Christian, Paul says, no, don't have a covering because Christ is your covering. Look what he says here. Let's read this scripture beginning in verse 4. Let man praying, or, or every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. For that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. For if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. You see that covering was again the the symbol of the authority over the woman, that the man, the authority over the woman. In verse 8, he says, For man is not from woman, but woman is from man. Nor was man created for the woman, but woman was created for man. For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Now, we'll look at that because of the angels thing in a moment. There's at least a couple of different ideas here in reference to the statement about the women having their heads shaved or or shorn. One idea is that in the pagan temple worship centers, they would have these women prostitutes at these pagan temples. And these prostitutes or immoral women, they would have literally their heads shaved or, or uh, cut real, real close to the skin, kind of, a, kind of a symbol of their lewdness. It was as though they were wearing a sign, and some feel that Paul was making that kind of a comparison. Lady, if you're not going to have your head covered, then you might as well have your head shaved at that point in time, is what they feel that Paul is saying. Another idea was that if a woman was caught caught in unfaithfulness, both in the Gentile as well as in the Jewish culture. Now, many times we think in the Jewish culture, they'd be stoned. Well, not once you got out of Judea. Uh, They could do that in Judea, but when they came into other portions of the world, they couldn't do that. But they could still, again, uh, expose them publicly, physically expose them, as well as cut their hair, nearly shave their hair off. And again, in kind of a public embarrassment, public disgrace. It was quite a while for the hair to grow out, and so it was quite a while to remove that stigma 
of, of being caught in her actions of her unfaithfulness. The book of 1 Corinthians is probably best known for its passage on love in chapter 13. You've probably heard these verses spoken at weddings, but these words on the character of love can also be applied to our relationship with God. God loved us so much that He gave His Son to stand in our place of judgment. Jesus came to this earth to live a perfect life, and then took every sin of every human being upon Himself, dying so that we didn't have to. That incredible love is available to you right now. If you want to know more about Jesus and the life of forgiveness and love He has waiting for you, please call us at 520-836-9676. You can also send us an email by visiting our website at theopenword.com. As a next step, we encourage you to find a solid Bible-based church to help you grow in your walk with God. With a special invitation regarding that, here's Pastor David. Hey, I hope that today's message has encouraged you in your faith and given you a hunger to learn more about God. If you're in the Casa Grande area and are looking for a church to attend, I'd be honored to have you join us here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. You can find directions and service times by visiting theopenword.com and following the links to our church homepage. We welcome you to be a part of our time of worshiping our Creator and studying the words of the Bible verse by verse, growing closer to Him each week. Thanks, Pastor David. We are so glad you joined us today here on The Open Word. Pastor David will return to share more from the book of 1 Corinthians right here on The Open Word. Make us more.